morning. Can you hear me? Can you just hear me or can you hear me clearly? Okay, good. This week and next uh, begins a very uh, short introduction to a series on looking at the Lord Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. And uh, I want, before we actually do that, I want us to be reminded of the place of Scripture in our, in our lives. Um, I assume that's the air condition. It's a power outage? Or power wash, or they're washing outside. Okay, that's cool. Um, can someone go out and tell them that we're trying to wash inside? And so we need. Um... <laughs> yes. Somebody need to keep the Sabbath. Okay. Um, invite them in. <laughs> I was wondering what that was during the worship, you know? So I'm going to have to talk louder, you know what I'm saying? Is that all right with you? Can, you? can you understand me? Ben can give me some more volume if necessary, you know. I don't want y'all to be distracted. Um, you can look at that as showers of blessings, you know. <laughs> Cleaning the place up. <laughs> um, anyway, this is one of two messages, Lord willing, uh, that's introducing us to a, a look at how Christ is found in all of Scripture and how that uh, we see the multifacetedness of Jesus' splendor and majesty in all that he has said in Scripture. And so it's going to be a little bit um, uh, moving quickly through the Word of God, but still hopefully hitting home uh, in the depths of our hearts and seeing how the beauty of Christ speaks to us. But by way of introduction, I want to us to look again. Um, we just came off of a mini-series on the parable of the sower, and I want us to go a little bit deeper and understanding the place of God's word in the life of his people. And so with that in mind, uh, let's, let's turn our hearts to God in prayer. Uh, our Father, in Jesus' name we come. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit whom you have given to us. We thank you for Jesus who, who comes, uh, who has come. And uh, we thank you for how he, he shall return again. Father, we're thankful for uh, the promise that you have made that your, your word is, is powerful. Uh, you use it to teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us in righteousness and make us more like Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we need um, nothing less than that to happen today as we look into your word. We pray uh, that your spirit would help us to comprehend uh, correctly and clearly and even concisely what you have said in Scripture and that we would leave this place made more like Jesus with the mind of Christ and even the, the manner of Christ as we interact with each other and with those in this world. We ask this for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah 55, I want to speak to you about uh, God's compassionate word, God's compassionate word, and uh, there's two uh, main things I want to speak to you from this chapter, Isaiah 55, is because God's word alone can fully refresh us, let us listen. Listen to him, that is. Because God's word alone can fully refresh us, let us listen to him. And second, because God's word alone can fully restore us, let us learn from him. Because God's word can fully restore us, let us learn from him. And uh, the end result is that we would daily allow God's word to transform us for his, for his glory. Let's look at Isaiah uh, 55 beginning at verse 1. 
Uh, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food or may your souls delight in fatness. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run, know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The book of Isaiah as a whole is really about um, the very first word of this chapter, uh, God's call for his people to come. Isaiah begins with calling God's people to repentance. They had been uh, filled with idolatry and all kinds of uh, influences from the nations. And God, through His prophet, is calling His people back to trust in Him, back to be devoted to Him, to return to the Lord that He might have mercy upon them. During the time of Isaiah, there was a great Assyrian threat. Uh, the Assyrian kings were threatening uh, the corridors of Israel, and, and Isaiah talks about how because Ahaz, as you may recall in chapter 7, refused to ask God for the sign that God commanded him to ask for, the Assyrian king would take out the nation of Israel and would threaten even the borders of Judah. But then there was this king called Hezekiah, who upon hearing from the king of Assyria and the threat that Judah was also in danger and received a letter from the king and was told that every other nation that Assyria had come against had bowed to their leader and how will God rescue you? And you may recall that prayer of Hezekiah as he took that letter and spread it before the Lord and basically said, read what the king of Assyria has written. And because of Hezekiah's trust, because of his faith, because of his crying out to God for mercy, for a word of compassion, that, that threat against Judah was muffled. The king was killed by his own children. And then you may also recall how Hezekiah was then threatened with illness. And then 
Isaiah came to him and basically said, get your house in order, your, your time's up. And Hezekiah again returned to the Lord and cried out to God. And it's almost as if Isaiah came in and said, your time is up and left. And Hezekiah prayed and Isaiah turned right back around and said, well, God's given you 15 more years. But then you may also recall how Hezekiah in the face of the invoice from Babylon came and proudfully displayed all of the wonder and the splendor and the glory of the house of God, the gold, the silver, and made it seem like it was all from him and didn't give the glory to God. And Isaiah sent a word to him that all of this will go to the land of Babylon one day. And even your sons will become eunuchs in his kingdom. And in light of all of this, Hezekiah said something so profound yet so so hard to hear. He said, the word of the Lord is good. There'll be peace in my day. It's almost as if, forget my children, as long as there's peace in my day. It's the sadness of, of that. And, and in these chapters here, in chapters 55 and chapters before this and a few after it, this is about the last chapter where God is actually giving a word to Isaiah that's going to speak to the people in exile. When that time comes for them to be in exile, and this is the word that they will that has been given to Isaiah for a future time, when God's people will be in exile, and and it's a word of compassion because it's never been heard of in history that a people were conquered and went into exile and then returned back to their land. But God was going to do something new. He was going to do something profound, something only God could do. When his people went into exile, he was eventually going to restore them again back to their land, the land that he promised them. And so he, he, he reserves these words for them and he reserves them for us as well. And these words, I want you to hear them, they're words that are given to God's people. And it's interesting that these words that we tend to think of in terms of evangelistic purposes are given to people who know the Lord. That God's people need to hear God's Word proclaimed to them. They need to hear the Gospel. They need to be evangelized. One of my professors, John Leonard in Westminster, wrote a book on how God's people, according to Scripture, need to be evangelized. And those who don't know God need to be discipled. It's an interesting turn. It's an interesting way of looking at things, but it's very true. And we see that played out even in the Lord's Supper each Sunday. But in the beginning of this chapter, we are, we, are, we are called and commanded to come. Notice how many times in the first five verses the word come appears. It appears five times. Again and again, God says, come, 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 come. He's calling His people home again. After they've been in exile, after they've been burdened with their sin. I don't know how you are doing with your sin this morning. I don't know what kind of struggles you have morally and what you're facing and what other people in your life may be facing as moral struggles and battles. But God's Word to the sinner, God's Word to His people who have sinned, His people who have fallen, is come. Come back home. Come back home. There's room in the Father's house for you. And it's not just come when you can. It's, it's five times, come. It's an urgent plea. It's an urgent cry of your Father to come home. Come everyone who is thirsty. What are you thirsting for this day? What are you thirsting for this morning? There's only one thing worth drinking and it's living water. You may recall the, the lady at the well Samaritan woman. She met Jesus that day. And what's profound, it's been pointed out by many others, but what's so profound about that, that picture, that conversation with Jesus Christ that the woman had of Samaria, the most profound image in that whole chapter is that she left her water jar. She came there because she was thirsty. She came there with a jar to acquire water. She came in the heat of the day when no one else would be there because she felt a sense of shame. And she left her jar and went into the city 
to tell people about a man who told her everything she ever did because she had received that day living water. She was thirsting for something and she got it that day. What are you thirsting for today? Sometimes the burden of sin and the burden of our guilt can make us thirsty for something else. Besides our sin, we realize that sin makes us broken. It makes us weary. So Isaiah says, come everyone who's thirsty. Israel was thirsty, having been in exile and want to be in exile for 70 years. They were thirsting. And they needed to hear these words, words that they could not hear at the time when they were written, but words that they would long to hear 70 years later. Come, you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And notice how he says, come buy wine and milk. Water in this day in the ancient Near East was hard to come by. People, you had to buy water. Funny how we're buying water now. Even if you don't buy bottled water, we still, you know, there's um, Howard County has its own distillery, apparently, and other places do as well, and so we're still buying water. But in the ancient Near East, they didn't have a, a, a water system like we have today, and so people, they went to a vendor and they had to buy water. Water was hard to come by. It was the ancient Near East. It was a, it was a deserty land in Palestine, and you had to buy water. And he talks about buying wine and buying milk. And waters were for refreshment. Wine was for, for joy and, and milk was for nutrition and for nourishment. They are the imageries that are given here. And notice he says, come. And, and the people who are commended to come are, are people who have no money. People who have no money. Because this water is free, this this wine is free. This milk is free. You, you can only get it without a price. There is no price on it. It's priceless. You may remember the commercial about MasterCard. How it's priceless according to certain people. But this, this water, this wine, this milk is priceless. You can't put a dollar amount on it. And it not only highlights the, 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 the weightiness of these, these resources, but it highlights the fact that in order for you to acquire this, there has to be an admission made of brokenness. That you have nothing to bring to gain these things but faith. Faith in a God who gives a word of compassion to needy, broken people. That's the only thing you need to acquire this is a belief in a God of compassion who looks upon sinful, broken people who are idolaters and ungodly and says, come home. I've got resources that you need to refresh you and to give you joy unspeakable, full of glory, and to give you the, the nourishment you need to grow and develop in a way that I have designed. There is a need for this, this humility, this brokenness, this neediness. Sometimes we don't have it. Sometimes we need to go back and realize that we are broken people. We are needy people who are desperately in need of God. Uh, we, it says here, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Earlier last month, many of us participated in the benefit of Amazon Prime Day and spent our money for all kinds of things. I won't ask for a show of hands, but um, some of you may have participated. I wonder how many people return things uh, already. You know, it, it, it doesn't take much to prove how, how easy we are to be disappointed with the things that we buy. You need only come to Best Buy or Target or some other department store the day after Christmas and see the lines in the return and exchange to find out how often we, we buy things that simply don't give us satisfaction. Um, I don't know, I remember 
how many people here may have remembered how there was a gentleman who said, I can't get no uh, satisfaction. Um, and often that's the case with us, is that we, we're never satisfied with what we can acquire. We work our fingers to the bone to have the wealth that we need, and we acquire things and buy things, and then we begin to complain about the things that we buy. We're not satisfied. They're not substance, substance enough for us. And the Bible says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? It doesn't give you the nourishment. And your labor for that which does not satisfy, it doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring refreshment. It doesn't bring the nourishment we need. There's still an emptiness. There's still a brokenness. I don't know about you, but you look around your house and you see things that have been acquired. Things that we were so excited to get. You may think of the cell phone in your pocket, how you may have stood in line overnight. Of course, you did not do that. But some of us stood in lines longer than we care to admit to acquire something. But now we just throw on the table or toss around. And here we see the prophet is saying that uh, we have given ourselves, we have given our energy, we have given our wealth for things that ultimately cannot bring the nourishment, ultimately cannot bring the refreshment of soul. They cannot bring the joy that we long for. There's nothing in this world that will ever satisfy us. The psalmist at one point said in Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I wonder how many of us can say that today. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you, O Lord. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's one thing that we are called to long for, one thing that we are called to be satisfied with. And God gives it to us in the end of this verse 2. He says, rather than spending your money for that which is not really nourishing, rather than laboring for that which does not satisfy, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food, which literally means delight your soul in fatness. Um, listen diligently. You have to recall the context that Israel was in exile they, were, they will have been with Babylon for 70 years. Many of their people would have been made eunuchs. They would have been cut off from their homeland. And God says the reason why they were cut off is because they failed to listen to God in the first place. They turned away from His Word. They turned away from what He had given to Moses. They had turned away from the God who loved them. They did not recall the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God in rescuing them from bondage. It's amazing when you read through the Old Testament how often God brings His people back. He always brings them back to Egypt in their thoughts and says, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Do you remember that act of salvation that took place in your life? He's often calling them back and recalling how they were slaves and in bondage and mistreated and afflicted and here's the one who rescued them. And God aims to teach us as well through this that we never ever graduate from the Gospel. It is the foundation, it is the seat from which our whole lives flow. And we're so easy sometimes to forget the foundation on which we must always stand. D.A. Carson at one time said that the main thing is to make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. It's a catchy phrase, but it's so true. The Bible says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. And the sense in verse 3 is that you and I would shut off all other voices. Shut off all other counsel. Shut down every other word that's out there and incline, bow down your ear to one voice. The voice of your Lord and Savior. The voice of Yahweh. The voice of Christ. Hear that your soul may live. 
And look at what he says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast and sure love for David. You may recall in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel chapter 7 how God had made this covenant with David that he would seat on his throne a descendant for eternity. That he would have as one of his offspring, it says in verse 12 of 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This obviously cannot be talking about Solomon because Solomon died along with his father. But David is being told about the Messiah. He's being told about Jesus. That there's coming a descendant, David, that I have made a covenant with, a new covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. It's an eternal covenant. He will sit on the throne of glory and He will sit there eternally. That one of your descendants, David, I promise that that I will raise him up and he will display the steadfast love of God in his reign, in his loving reign. And you see that come full circle with Jesus Christ, how because he humbled himself, because he became a servant, because he died on the death of the cross, because he bore the sin, because he bore the pain, because he bore our rebellion upon Himself and took the wrath of God and the punishment that we deserve, God has lifted Him up and given Him a name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has made Him Lord and, this, this, and Christ, this Jesus, He says, who was crucified. And so, so though, although David, it says in verse 4, Behold, I, I made him a witness to the peoples. David was made a witness by, by the way God made him to lead and made him to command his people. You may recall in, in David's life how many people bowed to him that he, he did not even know. It says in Psalm 18, it recounts what Isaiah is referring to. At the end of Psalm 18, a psalm of David. David says, you delivered me, in verse 43, you delivered me from strife with the peoples. You made me the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. And you can recall the, the victories of David over the Philistines and over the Ammonites and others. And how foreigners, even people who weren't God's people, came and bowed to David. And, and it bore witness to God being with David and God leading David as the leader and the commander of His peoples. But then in verse 5, it talks about the Messiah. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. And it's not saying that Jesus did not know who these people were, but they were not yet known by Him. But they would come to know Him because of what the Lord would do through Him, how the Lord would glorify Him, how He would be placard between heaven and earth on a cross, naked, bearing the sin of His elect people. And how He would call to these people. He would speak peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near, to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews, and bring reconciliation and restoration back to God. You know, as you read verse 5, you can't help but Ask yourself, how is it that God through Christ will call people back to Himself? Well, Jesus reminds us in John chapter 12 how all nations will be called to Him. 
He says, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. And how, in fact, does he do that? He does it through the people who actually know him. Inasmuch as we hold up the cross, and as much as we hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, God draws people, Jesus draws people to himself. Because God's Word alone can fully refresh us, let us listen. Listen to Him. Because God's Word alone can fully restore us, let us learn from Him. In verses 6-13, through, through 13, uh, the Bible, again, because of the, the work of the servant, because of the work of Jesus in bringing salvation, we see that in Isaiah 53, that, that He who bore our sin and was, was bruised for our transgressions and was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed because He has borne our sin. God can say with firmness and with resoluteness, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Words spoken to Israel in exile. Words spoken to believers. Words spoken to God's people, as well as those who would become God's people. A call to seek the Lord while he may be found. To call upon him while he is near. It's a call to prayer. It's a call to faith and a call to trust. The very thing that Israel failed to do in the beginning stages of Isaiah's prophecy during his lifetime, when he kept calling God's people to faith and trust, they wouldn't do it. And God sent them into exile. And so in exile, God still rings that same call back to them. That God's gifts and His calling are, are irrevocable. That God is, is tenacious. He is persistent. He comes after His people. He keeps crying out to them. You may recall how Jesus Himself cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have desired to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But here's the thing. They were not willing. It's not that God was not willing they were not willing to have this king rule over them. Like David was a leader and commander of his people, Christ is the ultimate leader, the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate commander. Are you and I willing to have him rule over us? Are we willing to have his word rule over us? As we embark upon looking at the whole counsel of God and hearing in that counsel the word of Christ, because all of Scripture points to Jesus. All of Scripture is a word from Christ. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 10, it was the Spirit of Christ in the prophets that was telling them what to say. Jesus, before His incarnation, was speaking to the prophets and saying, say this to them about Me. Talk to them about Me. Glorify Me to My people. Give them that word from Me. It was Jesus speaking to the prophets. He is the Word of God. That's why Jesus could say to people in His day, if you are not willing to listen to the Word of Moses, you won't hear the Word even from someone who rises from the dead. Because the Word of Moses is essentially the Word of Christ. Christ was bearing witness to Moses. He was speaking through Him. So God calls us to seek Him, calls us to call upon Him, calls us to repentance in order to really hear the Word of God, the preparation necessary to really hear the Word of God and to absorb its depth is repentance. If there's not a willingness to hear the Word and to turn away from wickedness, to turn away from wicked ways and wicked thoughts, then hearing the Word simply makes us Pharisees. The Pharisees knew the Scriptures not as well as they should have. They didn't understand them the way Jesus wanted them to, but they knew they could quote it. 
They could tell you where to find many things, not all things, because we see in Scripture how Jesus kind of baffles them often. Haven't you read? Don't you know? But they thought they knew. They were the separated ones. They were the go-to people. At that time, when, when people needed to hear what God said, they went to the Pharisees. When, when Herod the king wanted to know what happened, he said, well, get the scribes, get the Pharisees. Let them tell me where and what this is hap- what's happening with the birth of Christ. But it's all for naught if there's not this heart of repentance, this heart of brokenness, this heart of I'm going to forsake my ways. I'm going to, I'm going to forsake my unrighteous thoughts. That there has to be a willingness, there has to be a humility, there has to be a brokenness, there has to be an availability to Jesus Christ to say, here I am with all of my thoughts and all of my ways and I'm here for a purpose. I'm here to be changed. I'm here to be transformed. I'm here to be different than what I am. That can be sometimes embarrassing. That can sometimes be humiliating because sometimes we're very proud of the thoughts that we have. Sometimes we take pride in the ways that we have acquired over the years. And God is saying, your ways are simply not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And there's a need for transformation. There's a need for new creation. There's a need for humility. There's a need for a childlike, humble coming that says, Papa, fix me. Change me. Make me what you want me to be. And sometimes we've already made up our mind what we want to be. We've already informed God and sent Him a memo and told Him what exactly we want. We go to God in prayer and say, this is what I want. And perhaps there is nothing wrong with sharing with God what our wants are. He already knows anyway, but even Jesus, our Lord, said, if possible, let this cup pass for me. He expressed what He wanted, and, but He said, not my will, but Thy will be done. And often our prayers look unlike those. We just tell God what we want, and we call Him up, and we, we claim it, and name it and claim it, and what do you say? Call it and call it, call it, and call it right? And so we, we, we've already made up our mind what we want God to do for us, and there needs to be a humility. There needs to be a humility that, that, Lord, I'm coming to Your Word to have my mind transformed. My mind needs renewal. My brain needs washing. And so, God, I and You, we need to come with a humility that says, here's my mind. Wash it in Your Word. Renew it. Change my thoughts. You know, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And sometimes we look at that the wrong way. We think, well, I'll just go to a praise service and God will give me everything I've been ever craving all my life. But that's not the way it's to be read. Delight yourself in the Lord and if, if you're really doing that, He'll give you desires that you didn't have before. He'll give you the right desires, the things you ought to crave. And so here we're called to seek the Lord and forsake our ways and to forsake our unrighteous thoughts. Let Him return to the Lord. And and the motivation for doing so is the work of the servant talked about in verse 5. The work of humiliation. The work that He has has done on the cross. And the, the motivation is the result of that work is that the Lord will have compassion. And to our God, He will abundantly pardon And it's all of grace. You may recall how this passage should point us to the prodigal son. How he went away to a land and squandered all his wealth and wasted his father's goods. And then he realized in the the pig pen, he said, how many servants of my father have plenty of food to spare? He says, I know what I'll do. He had a bright idea. He had a V8 moment. The light bulb went off. He said, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he was sincere in his desire to do that. And he says, I'll I'll tell you what, make me like one of your servants. Make me like a hired hand. Because he wanted to make it up to God. He wanted to pay him back. And sometimes that's what we do. Sometimes when we mess up big time with God, we, we want to pay him back. We want to make it up to him. I'll make it up to you, Lord. I'll pay you back. I'll 
I'll, I'll serve you better. I'll, I'll do something for you. I'll, I'll give some money for you and I'll make it up to you. You notice that when, when he came back to his father and, and he said that I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and he was about to say, make me like a hired man, and his father interrupted him with kisses. His father interrupted him with embracing. His father interrupted him by calling the servants of the house to come and put the best robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Get the fatted calf. And let's celebrate. Let's have a party. Because it's all of grace. You can't pay God back. You can't make it up to God. You can't do enough to make it up to God. You've already started wrong. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. How can you make it up to God? How can you pay Him back? You can't earn it. Salvation's by grace. It's a gift. Receive it as a gift. Enjoy it as a gift. Rejoice in it as a gift. Come to God and admit your sin and say, here I am. Do me a favor. Be gracious to me. I know I don't deserve it. That's the whole point of grace. That you can't earn it. It's a gift. And that again speaks to God's thoughts not being like our thoughts and His ways not being like our ways because many in Israel would have wanted to make it up to God and, and to pay Him back for the wrong that they did. But you notice this passage, this verse comes up someplace else. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And He ties that reality to this. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. The prophet, no doubt, is thinking of the psalmist. As he already mentioned David, he's thinking of what David wrote in Psalm 103. How it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. And that what God has in mind is a compassionate word to His people. A word that will transform them. A word that will change them. Verse 10 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. When it rains, when it snows, there's a purpose behind it when you're shoveling the snow and it's 30 inches and you're annoyed and your back is hurting. Think about the purpose behind it. It's to give seed to the sower. It's to give bread to the eater. That in the cold, in the frigidness, when your hands are numb, there's a purpose behind it. There's a purpose behind the brokenness that you might feel. It rained last night again. But there's a purpose behind it. It brings forth fruitfulness from the ground. And there's a purpose with respect to God's Word that goes out of His mouth. It shall never return to Him empty, but it shall accomplish the purpose. And the purpose that it succeeds in is new creation. The purpose that succeeds in is transformation the purpose it succeed in is cultural renovation. Every single thing changes in the way you think, in the way you behave, and in the results that are acquired from God in your life. Everything gets transformed by God's Word. Because ultimately, God's Word, as you know, has a name. God's Word has a name, and the name is Jesus. He's the Word of God. And inasmuch as we endeavor to read Scripture and endeavor to preach through the whole counsel of God, we must always be cognizant of Christ. Christ is the centerpiece of Scripture. He is the central figure of Scripture. Because it is through Christ, as Michael reminded us as he repeated what was read in the Scriptural reading, there's no way to know God the Father but coming through Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God even comes, not to glorify Himself, but to glorify Jesus Christ. 
because it's only through Him, the mediator, that we come to know the fullness of the Trinity, the fullness of God Himself, that God has set Christ up in such a way that you cannot come to God the Father unless you come through Christ. You cannot know anything about God except through His Word. It was through the Word of God that God created the whole universe. And the universe declares the glory of God. God gives it as an example that the same Word that created was the Word of Christ. It was through Christ that God created. God does nothing apart from Christ and apart from His Spirit. Every single thing He does, God has never done anything apart from His Son, Jesus, and apart from the Spirit of God, glorifying Christ to mankind. Because God is the ultimate missionary. God is out to capture hearts and minds, and He does it through the mediation of His Son, Jesus Christ, through the mediation of His Word. And so, one of the clear applications is as we endeavor upon this whole counsel of God, seeing how Christ is in the Scripture, pray for the preaching of the Word. That we would see Jesus in all of His splendor and all of His varied coloredness and all of His glory and majesty. That we would see the particular depth of Christ as, he, as we move through Scripture. Pray for the preaching of the Word. I would commend to you to pray daily for it. Not because I'm a narcissist in any way, but because God's Word is that important. God's Word is that weighty. I don't know about you, but the, 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 the small opportunities, the few times I have to come to church and actually sit and listen to someone preach, I make it my business that week to pray for that brother who's going to be holding forth the Word daily that God would take him deeply into the depths of his word and bring forth a word that we might be refreshed, that we might have joy, that we might be nourished in the scripture. And so I commend that to you for the glory of God, for the glory of Christ. Because I don't know about you, but when I come here, I don't want to hear what Brian Wood has to say. I want to hear what Jesus has to say in scripture. I want to hear what thus says the Lord. I can listen to myself all week and there's very little to be commended, but I want to hear what God has to say. And so I ask you to pray. And pray for the result that the Word is supposed to have in verse 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Peace is a strong Old Testament word, shalom. It means completeness, it means wholeness, it means things are the way they're supposed to be. They're the way God has designed them to be. That you and I want our lives to be the way God wants them to be, the way God has designed them to be, and we want to be people of joy. People of joy, people who are strong in the joy of the Lord. These people who it was written to had been in bondage, would have been in bondage for 70 years. Slaves to the Babylonian Empire, slaves to a foreign, foreign nation, hearing those foreign tongues. God wants to give them joy. He wants to give them completeness. He wants to give them wholeness and peace. And He wants new creation. Pray for new creation to take place. Look at what it says, that the mountains and the hills will break forth into singing and the trees and the fields shall clap their hands. It's not literal, but it's saying that it's just the opposite of what Paul talked about, how the creation groans longing for the revelation of the sons of God. But here the creation is rejoicing because the sons have come home. That creation would rejoice because sons come home. And look at how in verse 13, the curse is reversed. Instead of the thorn and the cypress, there shall be cypress. Instead of the briar shall be the myrtle. The thorns and the thistles came up because Adam sinned and fell into sin. Because God cursed the ground. But God is promising that through the proclamation of His Word, through the proclamation of His Christ, through the proclamation of Jesus, the curse is now reversed. It goes backwards. It goes back to blessing. And the end result is that it makes a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That has to be the end result of all of the preaching that we endeavor to do and others may endeavor to do from this place is that it would make a name for God. 
it would bring an everlasting name. A name, and look at how that's played out in chapter 56, one verse there. It says in verse, verse 5, verse 4 and 5, it says, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me. One of the things that Babylon did is that they would castrate men when they took him into exile. So their, their name was cut off. They had no hope of children. And so God says that in verse 5, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters could ever give someone. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. God would give them his own name. That God has given us his name. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit the name revealed through the Son, Jesus Christ, and that that would be the end result of our proclamation. So let's be prepared and for the, for the subsequent preaching of the Word. Come desperate to Jesus. Remember, life in Christ is fueled by grace and the Gospel. The Bible says the grace of God not only saves us, but it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And the grace given is meant to be shared. We're the servant. And that's part of the main reason why Israel went into exile because God had placed them in the land as a servant through whom other nations would come to know God. But they failed. They defiled themselves. And so God had to come Himself. And so now, having been raised from the dead, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Now the job can finally get done. Because I have all power and authority, Jesus says, and I am with you, Jesus says. And so the grace given is meant to be shared, and effectiveness comes from constant repentance, faith, prayer, renewal, personal transformation, according to God's word, Jesus Christ. That God is out to make you look like Jesus. Pray that that would be the aim and result of the preaching of his word, that we would look more and more like Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we come and give thanks to you because of your goodness and grace. We thank you for uh, your word that is so powerful and so mighty to change and transform our hearts and minds. God, as we endeavor to prepare ourselves to hear how, how you speak the gospel in each of the books of your word, that that's been your main agenda the whole time through, is to show us the depth and the multifacetedness of the gospel, the good news, which is actually Jesus Christ who reveals to you the triune God, reveals to us the triune God. Oh, Father, help us to be prepared in our hearts and minds, broken and ready always to repent and turn from sin and trust in you and rely on you like Hezekiah once did and Ahaz failed to do. Father, help us. Anoint us by your grace and mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.